0: What's up, rockers? Welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder Podcast, where we geek out on all things rock and roll. Hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel, leave us your likes and comments. You can also leave likes and comments on our Facebook page, follow us on iTunes and Spotify, and check our website at talklouderpodcast.com. I'm Metal Dave Glessner, along with my co-host Jason McMaster, and today we are honored to have one of the members of one of the founding forefathers of the new wave of british heavy metal i think it's safe to say we've got john gallagher from raven with us today
1: i can't believe that we have uh basically one of my idols i hope he's not listening um his (laughs) voice his singing voice he might even get mad at me for calling it singing (laughs) usually it's the other way around when you talk about a vocalist right
0: yeah yeah. His,
1: his, his singing voice, his vocals changed the way I felt about... Do you remember the first time you heard, like, you know, a Judas Priest song that had, you know, I don't know, The Ripper or Victim of Changes that had just that incredible operatic, super high, it's like, you know, it's like, who's Robert Plant, kind of a high note?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, that was the same sort of, like, uh, feeling I got when I first heard Mr. Gallagher sing something that was in, so far up in the stratosphere that I didn't know that it was a human voice at some point. It got so high, I just didn't know. It's like, well, pretty soon he's going to explode. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a sonic boom, and, <laughs> and we won't even hear it as human ears. You know, aliens and small animals will hear it, but no one else will. Yeah. And the thing is, is he has such a great, uh, timber, like proper singing voice too. Uh, it's, it's quite nasal and, and loud and crisp, uh, like bacon, fried bacon. No, I'm kidding. But it's <laughs> mysteriously, um, like it's, it, it will, it's razor sharp. Yeah. And I don't mean pitch. His pitch is incredible. He's just, no one sings like this guy. Yeah. And so it's, it's a personal honor uh, to have him him on the show, as well as an excellent, just excellent musician. Him and his brother write the craziest hard rock and heavy metal riffs I've still ever heard. They're almost like a prog metal band, but they were so uh, crazy fun type of a thing yeah that uh you you can't really put it in in one box so well
0: there there's no question their influence i mean you ask the members of metallica anthrax you know megadeth they they all you know they all respect raven and rightfully so uh like i said one of the early pioneers of the new wave of british heavy metal and uh we're honored to have him with us today We don't often have one of the forefathers of the new wave of British heavy metal on our show. We have a lot of great guests, but uh, you might be royalty.
2: Yeah, you just make me feel old. That's all that is. (laughs) I am old, but I'm not an old (laughs) fart.
1: We just interviewed uh, for an episode, we had Nigel Glockler on the show.
2: Nigel's a great guy. He's in your neck of the woods, basically, isn't he?
1: Not he anymore. Was. Yeah, he's he's Not back. anymore.
0: In, he's back in the UK. Uh, he left. Oh, a, he left about a go. year ago. Oh, but, but he hopes to come back, and we hope to have him back. So,
2: yeah, Nigel's uh, a great, great guy and a phenomenal drummer too.
1: Yes. Yeah. We
2: toured with them guys about like 2018, and couldn't say enough good things about Saxon. Always loved Saxon, but I mean, the people are just, they're real, you know, they're just great. Proper gents. (laughs) Yes.
1: Yeah. Uh, I, I, uh, I feel honored and lucky enough to say the same about you and your crew as well.
2: See what 20
1: bucks can get you. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Right. Right.
1: Um, Hey, let's, let's start off. You're not getting any more. That's enough. That's good. Yeah. Uh, let, let's start off by, uh, by getting into, what do you say when I say neat records?
0: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: <coughs> oh, man. Uh, hey, don't, don't get into it.
2: For all the, the grief and agony and hilarious and non-hilarious stories, uh, you know, we got our break from neat records. If yes. there wasn't neat records, it might have taken us uh, a lot longer. Uh, The situation was in the UK at the time, as it is in most countries, as you have the music business, usually in the capital city uh, or one of the main cities. Of course, in the States, it's LA, Chicago, to a lesser extent, and New York. Correct. So, you know, if you were in Texas or Seattle or, you know, Minneapolis or whatever, good luck. Yeah. Good luck. And shrink that country down to the size of the UK. And we were in Newcastle, which is 250 miles away, which if you expanded it out to the States, would be like about, you know, 3,000 miles out of the capital city. They don't care. They weren't interested. You right. had to come to them. Right. And, you know, we learned our trade. We, you know, learned to be a live band. We learned to write. We learned to perform. We did our whole thing. And then by chance, uh, a local recording studio did a single for a band called The Tigers of Pantang. Yes. They were smart enough to send it down to one of the music papers, Sounds, in London. And they loved it and gave it a great review. All of a sudden, people wanted to buy it. And of course, this was happening here and there all over England. And the manager of the Tigers came up to me after a gig and said, love the show. How would you guys like to do a single with neat records? And we're like, let me think about that. Yes.
1: Um, <laughs> how old, were, and how you know, old that, were you at that time? That was
2: our sideways entrance into it, you know?
1: So Tigers manager approaches you after a gig and you say, yes, I would love to record a single. Was that uh, Don't Need Your Money, Honey?
2: Yeah, we went in and we did a demo of three songs just live on the two track which uh, amazingly enough I just found 2 weeks ago. Wow. I've been I've been looking for it for 40 years or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, that's wow. that's it's that's in our back pocket for something coming out hopefully Excellent. soon. We'll see what happens. But anyway, we did that uh they liked it. I'm saying they, it was basically David Wood who ran okay. the outfit. It was pretty much a shoestring, one-horse operation. And we did Don't Need Your Money, and yeah. we did uh, Wiped Out as the B-side. And from then on, it was like strap strap yourself in, boys, you're in for a bumpy ride. Yeah. We went from playing clubs to in a space of like two months to playing with white snake and motorheads and iron maiden and Ozzy osborne and all this stuff you know
1: wow because when i think about uh what was happening over there i'll just say late 70s um with the bands you just mentioned um you, you know, I mean, maybe not Ozzy. Maybe that was a, a year or, or, or and a half or two, two, maybe two years later. But I feel like as soon as, uh, I think it was Sounds Magazine included an article that had, probably had Motorhead, but it had Angel Witch uh, and Diamond Head and, and maybe Saxon and maybe Tigers. And they, and they may have even mentioned Raven. And I, I, I don't remember... We, we talk about Sounds Magazine quite a bit on this show. Someone had coined the phrase, New Waver British Heavy Metal, talking about your scene and how it's <clears throat> sort of like coughing up all of these bands. And it was, I mean, by 1980 and 1981, there were compilation records that silly Americans like myself could buy, heavy metal heroes that had just all of these bands from the UK on it. And uh I learned a lot about how just it was like an explosion. And you know, much like any scene, there was probably a lot of bad bad bands and there was a lot of good bands and I feel like all of the good bands, you know, rise to the top and then there's some nuggets that never really uh go anywhere that are discovered later on. It's like why didn't these guys blow up? These guys were It
2: was pretty amazing. There was a lot. An awful yeah. lot of the bands had a lot of merit. They had good stuff. And they were all absolutely different from each other. That's yeah. what was amazing. The only thing they had in common was the passion and the energy. Yeah. None of the bands were the same at all. And you, you could have an argument that seeing the new wave of British heavy metal, it's one of the first times they really started to you know, put boxes around people.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, you
2: know, which was kind of it totally ridiculous because you know Iron Maiden's not like Ravens, not like no, White no. Uh, White Spirit or Angel Witch yeah. or Venom or, right. or no, Diamond Head. They're, they're all totally different, and the all thing- were great in their own way. So the yeah. bands were all out there playing locally, doing their thing, and all of a sudden the spotlight was turned on them all, and it's like oh we're supposedly part of this thing now, right?
1: Yeah.
2: I mean, I've met people that actually thought there was like a, a you know, like a club. You had your club card. Yeah, you know, I'm a fully paid up member over there, and you wave a British heavy metal, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> that kind of luck. Right. But uh, Jeff Barton and Alan yeah. Lewis and Sounds, he he went to a gig and I think it was Iron Maiden and Samson and maybe Angel Witch, something met like that.
1: that. That's it, and coined so, the yeah. phrase
2: "the new wave of British heavy metal." That's it. That's and about it. three weeks later, they came up and interviewed us, and it was the northeast new wave of, you know, the most clunkiest acronym you could ever think of. You know? <laughs>
0: right, right. Well, <laughs> you know, I never, I never really thought of that, but you raise a good point there. A lot of people uh, consider the new wave of British heavy metal to be the sort of this all-encompassing uh, umbrella under which all these bands. Or beneath and and that's true to a degree but really only in a journalistic perspective as you say a lot of those bands sounded very different from each other so it almost became sort of a catch-all phrase that sort of captured bands that were out at a, at a specific time but maybe didn't have a whole lot uh as much in common maybe as the term would would have you believe
2: yeah i think that the thing they had in common probably Was more the influences.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Where
2: they were, they all gravitated to usually the more exciting Deep Purple, Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, Montrose, Status Quo, ACDC, Rory Gallagher, Wishbone Ash, even Genesis, yes, ELP, all all that stuff, you know, because it was heavy. All that stuff was heavy. Yeah. You know, and Ron- there was no, you know, like, this is, uh, you know, death metal, grind fart, black metal, <laughs> blah, blah, all this rubbish, you know. Grind It was none of that. It was just, uh, this is out of the norm, you know, and it, it, it would be heavy or progressive.
0: Would, would you and say- Progressive
2: in the sense of trying to do something different, you know.
0: One of the, another another scene that was happening at that time was punk rock, and I, and I know, like- uh, I don't know, would you say that punk rock was at all an influence on Raven in terms of at least the energy, maybe not so much the music, but the energy and the presentation, or maybe not so much?
2: No, I mean, we, we were already playing gigs. We were already smashing guitars up and throwing amplifiers into the crowd and jumping on people's tables. So when we saw the punk rockers, it was like, yeah, they've got the energy, but what else have they got? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and of course, you know, you you listen back now, and the Sex Pistols were brilliant. You yeah. know, I mean, there's no doubt about it. They had a, an incredible, weird groove about the way they played the stuff. It, it was just, just I've a bu- great rock band, bu- right? Um, and they I- like, like again, like any other scene, there was like maybe four or five really excellent bands that came out of that.
1: Mm, and, always, and
2: again, the energy and the passion was definitely there.
1: I've always thought that uh, "Never Mind the Bullocks" was a great rock and roll record. And, oh hell yeah! And that Steve Jones is a great rock and roll guitar player with the attitude and uh, and the and the might to sort of really be backbone to what uh, came out of the sex pistols and help create and and inspire uh generations i, th- uh, I
2: think that the the biggest influence those the punk rockers had was more of a diy ethos of like get off your ass and do it yourself
0: yeah yeah no
2: one's going to come knocking on your door you just got to go break down the doors and do your own thing yes so yes. i mean you'd you'd read about these labels like rough trade and again, all this stuff was in sounds, and you know, you, you by osmosis you would take this stuff in. You know, you'd have an idea of what was going on.
1: Yeah.
0: Let, let's wow. go back before your record deal. You form you and your brother formed the band in '74, and and um, rock and roll has a has a long tradition and history of brothers forming bands. You've got ACDC, you've got the Kinks, uh, all the way up to the Black Crows, uh, the Oasis guys. Um, But with that relationship comes a lot of fighting and bickering and arguing. And in some cases, that drives the band. And in some cases, it's just a thorn in your side. How would you describe the creative relationship between you and your brother, uh, you know, as far as forming the band and and did you guys fight constantly like some of these other brothers in rock and roll or were you more at peace with each other?
2: I think we fought an awful lot more before we started the band. <laughs> so we, any argument sort of, we would just take it out on the instruments.
0: <laughs> the band gave you... Dun, a...
2: dun, dun.
0: <laughs> so the band gave you a common goal. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah.
2: I mean, and we, we have... St- we have a lot of common influences and a lot of different ones. And it, it just, it, it's much like the way we play together. It meshes to make something bigger than just the two parts, you know? Yeah. We've really worked hard on that over the years to the point that you don't even think about it. I'll play a riff and I, I won't play boom, 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 boom. I'll play something that complements it. Correct. It's got music in it and it's like like another part of the riff the other side of the coin you know and yes. and it's you know we don't we only have two instruments like that and so between the three of us we've just had to you know you orchestrate you try to make more out of what you've got you know
1: yes and a lot of uh, a lot of uh, dare I call it power trio but a lot of that where there's only one guitarist a lot of the great bands work that way where you're orchestrating the, the parts of the song so everyone's just not... I mean, if the singer sang the same note the bass line is and the same note that the guitar is chugging on, that's not even a song. That No, that's might,
2: just, uh, I, you know, everyone following the leader. Right. But of course, we started as a four-piece and played as a four-piece right up until probably late 1979.
1: I never knew that.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. Paul Bowden uh started the band with us he was right there up until 79 and you know he played guitar very like mob very tight rhythm the two of them were totally locked in and, you know trade solos and what have you and he quit and we got another guy in and it didn't work and we got in on drums and he was just like this ain't working. We got to tell this guy to go bye-bye, you know? Mm-hmm. So I drew the short straw and told this gentleman that his services were not required. <laughs> and we looked at each other, the three of us, and went, hmm, this is going to be fun. We're going to try this? he said, yeah. And in, in instantly, it made each of us such a better musician.
1: I'm so glad. There's
2: absolutely no, there's no safety net. Yeah. You've got a you look out for each other. You have to cover an awful lot more sonic real estate. And, you know, if you screw up, it's dreadfully obvious, you know? Yes. Yeah. But the opportunities to make music and to go off and do the thing you were talking about, almost like the jazz thing where the song's going and no one's playing those notes. Everyone's playing around those notes. Yeah. So the song's there and everyone's playing around it. And that's where the magic is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That and the ability to, to improvise and make stuff up on the fly, either for writing or actually on stage, it's so much easier to do that in a three-piece situation.
1: You got Rob Wacko Hunter. Um, what year was it that he had to go out? And is it true that he got a job engineering for the Marcellus brothers? in a studio like engineering jazz records is that true
2: uh technically yes that's wow. true wow. he he quit in 87 okay and you know he told the roadie to tell the manager to tell us so you know we were like what so we weren't happy but no. uh you know, that's all water under the bridge. We've sure, patched okay. things up with Rob, and okay. you know, we're, we're we're totally, you know. Yeah, we I, I understand. You know, he felt at the time he, he just had to get out of it. Okay, it was uh, too much circus. There was too mm-hmm. much drinking, and it was just, you know, and he was married with a kid on the way. So, okay, you know, he did what he felt was right. He at obviously that... didn't do it. though the the way he would have done it now yeah but uh you know being a what were we at that time like 27 28 year old i mean you know okay men when they're 27 28 year old might as well be 12 you know (laughs) as as most women as most women will agree
1: (laughs) yeah well was he um was he was he uh moving planning on moving to the states does does rob live in the states
2: yeah we all live in the states we all lived in the states since like 84
1: wow okay so not long after uh uh you got your atlantic deal
2: yeah well we came over uh in maybe january 84 with the idea uh, you know, we came over lock, stock, and barrel with all our equipment and everything to tour until we got a major deal and got a major agency, like a you know, booking agency deal. And it took most of that year. And you know, we went home for Christmas and we came back, and then we went home for Christmas and we came back. And you know, eventually, it was like, oh, I guess we're living here, <laughs>
0: right. right. So let me let me ask you, um, as as a as a native of, of Britain, what was your first impression of America when you came here? I, I would imagine it was a bit of a culture shock. Was it?
2: Oh, absolutely! This was like t- TV come to life. Weird. Yeah, I mean, we we you arrive at JFK, and you know, we got picked up by uh, a friend of Johnny Z's, a guy who had like a one of those. You know, like the taxi type cabs, like from the TV show, yeah. And you know, it was one of those glorious sunsets over Jamaica Bay. We're driving through there, and you see Manhattan, and it's just like unbelievable, yeah, unbelievable. And then the whole thing of seeing more of it the following year when we toured and you know, it's going across the country and seeing it all, yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, for a bunch of kids from. Newcastle. I mean, I didn't know anyone had been to America.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Most of the people I know didn't even go out the country for holiday. So, you know, that was back then. Uh, You know, we, we came from a background, very blue collar. Everyone, no one was above anyone else. Yeah. At all. There was maybe a couple of kids who were poor, but everyone else, the parents worked in factories and whatever. And it was all social, economic, all. Mm -hmm. you know equal playing field very much so Mm -hmm. yeah so to come and see you know come to america and actually see people some people with a a greater you know lifestyle and a lot of money floating around here and there that was quite eye-opening as well
1: yeah i would imagine so you know i it's the story you tell uh via dave's question uh, makes a lot of sense when when i landed first time heathrow and see London the first time—it's very much a, like, wow, this is just like the postcard, you know. So there was a little bit of that going on uh, when I when I were to visit, you know, new places like that. I um, I feel like when Johnny Z picked you up, were you were there plans to? Uh, there were already plans in place to tour. Uh. uh the all-for-one record?
2: Well, what had happened was he'd got in touch. And Dave Wood said, I've got contact from this guy who says he's got the biggest import record store on the Eastern Seaboard in the States. He wants to bring you over to play a show. We're like, And the problem is, what? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. And then it was like, you know, we've got like four or five other shows. You know, you would be playing with Angle. Like, Excellent. Let's do yeah. it. So we came over and played the show, the Halloween Headbangers Ball at the St. George's Theatre in Staten Island, New York, which was amazing. And um, Then we played like four or five shows with Anvil around the tri-state area. And it was like, we'll come back next year and we'll do a full tour, do a headlining tour. All
1: right. Excellent.
0: You're legendary for, not only for your own career and making your own mark, but you brought, I mean, you, you had Metallica as your opening act on the, on the Kill em All for One tour. And uh, not a lot of bands get to say that because nobody's open. I mean, Metallica hasn't opened for anybody probably since Raven. <laughs> so, What was was that like uh, at that time? Um, Because obviously Metallica wasn't huge yet. And, you know, on this show, we talk a lot of times about how when bands are touring together, there's this misconception that you spend a lot of time hanging out and partying and all that stuff. But the bigger the bands are, the less likely that is. However, I'm going to argue that maybe back in 1983 or 84, whenever this tour was taking place, uh, you guys maybe did have a lot of time to socialize together. Did you guys sort of have a camaraderie during that tour?
2: Oh, yeah, very much so. I mean, it would be hard not to. I mean, it was 17 people in a six berth Winnebago, basically. (laughs) I mean, you know, it was so bad. Half the time we traveled in the back of the truck with a couple of mattresses thrown in, you know. Ouch. Uh, But no, we got on with, with them great. I mean, they were kindred spirits. We were a gang. They were a gang. Yeah. very much so you know yeah. And I mean it was it was interesting to see that they, they soaked up I mean Lars is a very smart gentleman and he, he was watching, he watched everything and watch, listen, learn, ask questions, you know they did all that because there's a radical departure from their first album to the rest of their career. Yes. Yeah. There, there really is, you know, and a, a small part of that is from them watching us. Yeah. A small part, as yeah. far as arrangements, as far as uh, how how to pr- perform and interact with an audience, you know. Yes. This was their first tour. They hadn't played an awful lot of shows, but uh, you know, they, they they were quick studies. Yeah. <laughs> Put yeah. <it> that way. <laughs> But it, it was great. It was great having them, uh, you know. Like I said, I mean, that's the the best impression is they were a gang and people love a gang.
0: Yeah. They,
2: yeah. Hate, they hate the, uh, you know, here's the superstar with the, uh, you know, the, the guys who clock in to play guitar and bass drums and keyboards, you know, the the bought, bought and paid for. Right. People want a gang. Yeah, you know,
0: yeah. And, you know. How, how long was that tour and how much of the United States did it cover?
2: It was about six, seven weeks. We started off in Jersey, went into New York, went up to Connecticut, Boston, up to Buffalo, Rochester, which was with Motorhead, oh, which was hilarious. Yeah, so Motorhead were turned. So, you know, we just slotted in as openers for Motorhead. Oh, yeah. Uh, The show got cancelled. I remember we were hanging out somewhere in upstate New York at a hotel. I've got lots of silly photos. Uh, Then we went to Chicago, which was phenomenal. Hung out in Chicago for a few days, and for some reason, drove all the way down to Arkansas and played about three gigs in Arkansas, which was very strange. And that was a very off-planet part of the tour.
0: Yeah.
1: So Chicago was, uh, did you play the Metro, right? That's right. Yeah. And then Arkansas, did you play like uh, a gutted gas station or two? Or (laughs) were they proper venues?
2: We woke up and came out and we were in a huge natural bowl with a stage at the bottom with totem poles on it and insects the size of small helicopters. (laughs) And it was called—I kid you not—Bald, Bald Knob Amphitheater.
1: I've seen that on the tour posters. That you can, yeah, you you can see. Yeah, I recall that Bald Knob. Yeah, well, that—that that, so that was
2: that was hilarious. Uh, we were in Texarkana, which is uh, down the main street on one side. It's a dry county, and on the other, it's all bars. That was pretty funny. Me and Lars went to a a radio interview and the guy was talking about heavy metal as he held the heavy metal album cover under the desk and was like, yeah, so you guys, you know, heavy metal. I mean, you know, Don Felder and uh, (laughs) uh, we're looking at each other like, what you got under there? And he pulled up the heavy metal. It's just no, no, that's that. We're talking like Motorhead, Deep Purple, Led Zeppelin. Come on, what's going on here?
0: Well, that tour also brought you to Texas, correct?
2: Well, that was right after that. And there was some entertaining Texas shows. uh, Tarrant County Amphitheatre, 10,000-seat amphitheatre with about 300 kids in there. And we had gear to play small clubs. And the guy's like, I just heard you boys sold out Madison Square Garden. Is that right? No. we're like, "Uh, who told you that? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So that was kind of ridiculous. And we That's also, somewhere further west, we were setting up and the doors, this place kind of looked like a church, you know, with the big doors at the back. The doors okay. bust church? open, just like on TV, and a phalanx of freaking coppers came out the police with pump-action shotguns. This woman at the front with a mirror, you boys need to pack up your equipment and leave town immediately. And we're like, yes, ma'am, no problem. Wow. <laughs>
0: wow. Welcome wow. to Texas. Anyway, huh? They caught
2: somebody smoking pots somewhere around, Hi. and it was probably one of the kids hanging around outside. But uh, we played a few shows in Texas, and it was great. Obviously, it was awesome.
1: I um, I want to th- – this is my cue. Uh, I want to jump in and say there's a, there's a little bit of a story. I'll try to make it quick. Uh, I got to Austin from, from South Texas, uh, in like 80, maybe summer of 81. And I, uh, made friends with people opening a record store. It was an independent record store, of course, of course, called Waterloo Records. Uh, they weren't open yet. I, I, I made my way through the front door while they hadn't quite opened yet. And they were very nice people. They wrote down everything. They said, What kind of, what do you like? And I said, I, well, I like Motorhead. I like I basically New Wave British heavy metal stuff. And, you know, whatever was happening, this would have been in 81, uh, 82. Uh, so, you know, a year into my relationship with this Waterloo Records, you know, they see me come and they got the new whatever it is. I walk in. And you know, and I bought a few Raven records from this place as well. Uh, but I walk in, and so I already had everything Raven had done up to that point. It's '83. I walk in. They 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 say you got to hear this, and it was Kill 'Em All. And I said, Oh, that's awesome. So you know that was brand new. The next time I walk through the door, they they show me a poster. They go, Look at this. And the poster is framed and uh, on the wall above my uh, office desk right over there. I won't turn my camera. And it's Raven. And it's, you know, All for One. It's got the, the photos from the back of All for One. And I'm like, oh, shit. And I look down, and it's Metallica, the band that they had just turned me on to three weeks prior as the opening band. And that was... Wednesday, August 24th, at a club called The Nightlife in Austin, Texas. You guys did an in-store. And in this Bible here are all of my Raven records autographed. (laughs) I won't break them out one by one because then that would take all day. But uh, you signed everything. You know, they had like the little baby plastic pool of ice and beer And only like fifteen or twenty headbangers came in, and you guys and Metallica are hanging out, and you—it was just the greatest uh, eye opener and game-changing moment. That it's like you know, like pimple-faced blue-collar, you know, lower middle-class kids. Can play rock and roll and do something with themselves and not be uh, druggies and jailbirds and assholes if they have this music in their life because this means something to them and it creates passion and drive for other things. And oh, yeah, I want to, oh, I wanna, yeah, I want to thank you for installing that. The show that night was. Incredible. You know, I mean, I, I met James that day. We, you know, we, uh, I went to San Antonio, which was like the day after, the couple days later. And I was treated like you guys knew me forever called by my first name, exchange of addresses, pen pals, the whole thing. That right there was what heavy metal in America, the underground tape trading thing, which we talk about all the time, is how a lot of people heard about you. And Raven and Metallica and a lot of the bands that you've been mentioning from the UK, etc., as well as the American metal movement. And this would have been between 81 and 84, 86. I mean, I,
2: I, I still know all those people. Yes. Bri- Brian right. Liu. Yes. Ron Quintana. Yes. Uh, Bob Muldowney, rest his soul. But John Errigo, who worked with him, still a great friend of mine.
1: Uh, no, you know the, there was- the Midwest Militia. You know, the people from the Midwest militia? Yes. Yeah.
2: I mean, there was the fanzines yeah. everywhere. And like you said, those those people, they were like, uh, you know, hellfire preachers. They spread the word. Yes. Yeah. yes. They, yes. they really did,
1: you know. Um, let's talk about your singing style. You... <laughs> Don't get mad at me for calling it singing.
2: You've lost that <laughs> love and <in> feeling.
1: <clears throat> so the fact that you can even do that when people would hear a rave. Of- yes, I was going to strawberry. I don't, I don't,
2: I don't.
1: <laughs> so the fact that you can even do that and then uh, the Righteous Brothers tune and then hear you do what? You do with your own music. Um, It's inhuman. I was saying earlier that aliens and small animals might be able to hear some of the notes if you sang any higher. Uh, Obviously, you 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 know uh, very well placement of rubber bands or tight pants.
2: Yeah, I have these. uh, They're like thumbtacks that go into my (laughs) underwear. And I have a couple of straps that I pull at the opportune moment, and it and enables me to reach ecstasies oh. of pain, which produce noises higher than bats. Yeah.
1: So you had a so you had a pair of uh, underpants made from a bed of nails. That, that's it. yeah.
0: Don't try this at home, kids. Yeah.
1: Don't try um, this at home, kids. It's I, not let worth let it. me get <laughs> let me get somewhat serious here. When I heard um, "Rocking to You" drop. Uh, all of the songs on that I mean um, I think I got Rockin' To You Drop and then, and then Wiped Out Because I had heard about you You know I had to catch up a little bit Right um, The band I was in Covered a couple of songs Off that record uh, Faster Than Speed of Light uh, We did Wiped Out uh, I've been covering your songs Off and on What I feel like My whole life At this point <laughs> um, So So You know, that style of singing sort of changed the way anyone would think, oh, Rob Halford sings high, or, you know, uh, the guy in Sweet, you know, Connolly, And, the you know, when they're thinking about, you know, the Robert Plant, like Robert Plant who, when they hear guys like you. So it's not about singing the high note, because in the same sort of like garbledygook of uh, vomitous glee I'm giving you, I want to say that you have... You have, you have tone, you have, uh, you use your resonators, you, you, you never tire. I don't see how you've been doing this without any sort of, um, uh, falling out or losing your voice or hurting yourself because it's, it's almost like violent. Touch wood,
2: touch wood. I mean, the the amount of times I've blown my voice out is like, I can remember twice. Amazing. Uh, and it's usually when you get sick. If you get the, you know, like flu or a bad cold, it it really screws with your pitch. Yes. We played, it was actually the day Cliff died. Oh, no. We were playing two shows with Yngwie Malmsteen, and I had, like, no voice. Mm. And the other day was uh, in 1995, we were in Japan recording a live album, and I had no voice. I couldn't talk. And I walked on and just, like, Help me out here, big guy. And somehow I was able to get through it. And, of course, it was recorded, which is, like, insane. Somehow I I got away with it. But uh, they're the only times. I mean, that was so funny because we're like, oh, well, we'll go in the studio tomorrow and we'll fix the bad parts. And when I went in the studio the next day, it was just like... It was like, well what you what you see is what you get that's the way that one is
1: <laughs> well and and do you find it sometimes when you you know you record something and you're like well this is going to be shit because my my voice is shot and i know it's shot so it's going to be shit and then you go in and listen to it um do you did you find that some of it wasn't as bad as you thought like you just kind of admitted but was it really- no
2: not i mean not that, that's it a- different situation because i oh. was obviously you know recording a live gig as far as recording albums oh right uh, it, it's been a long process of uh, basically learning learning your instrument yes you know i had a tendency to over sing a lot earlier on i w- i would i would have these wars with the headphones where i would have to have and it's it still happens a bit. I'd have to have the headphones so loud because I sing so loud. Mm -hmm. Once I start singing that way, I can't hear the backing track.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: It's like your ears, you know, like when you yawn and your ears close, it's kind of like that. Mm -hmm. So I'd have, I'd get these violent migraine headaches. Like when we're doing all for one, I'd sing for an hour or two. And it was just like, I'm going to lie down in the back room. I'd feel dreadful.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. and basically just worked on that to to the point that over the last 10 15 years when I do vocals I usually do the whole thing in like one, one or two days yeah the new album I did all the vocals in one afternoon
1: now when you say new album all of them is that metal That's three part
2: harmonies backing tracks the whole oh, wow. deal.
1: Is that huh? Metal, Metal City? Metal yeah. City, yeah, okay, good. Yeah,
2: it came in about 10, 11 o'clock, went through about 5, 6 in the afternoon, boom, done, all done.
1: Amazing, wow. amazing. I
2: was in great, great, and I, I knew I knew what I was doing because I demoed everything a thousand times. And yeah. It, I mean, there's still, let's try this, let's try that. Don't do, you know, everyone chipping in ideas. Yeah. But uh, when you're on form, it's easy, it's okay, you know?
1: Well, that I call that being in shape. And as you said, yeah, I mean,
2: we've toured before we did that. We toured so much over the last five years and that's like, it's like weightlifting for your voice. The more you sing, the stronger it gets, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I truly admire what you can do with your voice. Um, I've been trying to sing like you my entire career
2: you poor fool
1: <laughs> well, and that's if i'm a poor fool once a poor fool always a poor fool so i will uh take that as a compliment yeah, you uh, because I, I
2: i will too thank you i appreciate it yeah, you're
1: you're you're very you're more than welcome uh one one more time you're you have tone. I mean you have a singing voice. It's not just when people think about Raven and they think about wow, you know, just in the stratosphere and that's all it is. I'm calling bullshit. That's not what No, that that is, that, is you...
2: that does annoy me when I hear that. It's like I don't like them because of the voice. It's like right. come on. Right. How many how many singers? I mean you could list them, Rob Halford, Ian Gillen, uh yes. freaking what's his name? David Byron. Arthur Brown, for God's yeah. sake. Yeah. Uh you know, they, they all it they're like it's like a guitar. You don't play one or two notes all the time. You know, right. there's a palette. You so yeah. I have the ability to do that. So I, I will use it occasionally. I don't use it yes. all the time because then it would oh. get annoying and stupid, you know.
1: Right. Well, but, it, bo- uh, it, bothers you know, me. it bothers me when the they say The people I
2: grew up on, I'd hear Ian Gillen. I thought it was phenomenal when he'd do like Child in Time or Highway but, Star oh, yeah. and just go yeah. off and jump that octave up there, you know?
1: Well, that's a, that's a major influence between him and, and Plant. I think that those guys kind of set the bar uh, for a style. And I always had a theory that, um, you know, that type of uh, – of application to a high-energy rock song, which is, of course, blues-based. But, you know, the drums are loud, the amps are loud. You know, if you're singing, you know, John Lee Hooker, a ho, 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 it's hard to project that when you're singing down here. So yeah. you, you, you crank everything up up the octave without blowing your voice out you have a certain you you memorize how much air you need to get the job done and create the tone and the energy the song is asking you to create over the top of high volume and that creates that higher octave and there you have rock and roll music yeah it's just one of those
2: things it's like flash guitar or flash bass or flash drumming and it's almost like flash singing yeah you're going to put a little bit of icing on the cake there occasionally you
1: know yeah what about your whammy bar bass? How many people in the world have a whammy bar on their damn bass guitar? How many well, I've
2: got, What have I got here? One, two, three. I've got four.
1: Okay, show off. I know you. <laughs> okay. But how many? Oh, now he's going to move this us one. I'm going to shoot it. It's
2: actually missing a string at the moment. But, uh, uh, I'm,
1: I'm not I even surprised. It. Is it there? Yeah, there it there is. There it is. Wow, yeah. that's infamous. Wow.
2: Ta-da.
0: Wow. That's a, that's a piece that's of that's the art infamous. Too.
2: Yes, it is. And now I've I've actually you're getting an exclusive here. An exclusive. I've built this bad boy here. Can I get it out? I probably can't, but it's worth it, so wait for me.
0: There it is. There
1: getting like a tour of his Whammy Bar bass collection here. <laughs> where else are you going
0: to get I love this? I how he's like
1: digging around. Oh, where is that damn thing? <laughs> yeah,
0: he, he might find another 40-year-old demo tape.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope so. Oh, here
2: I'll talk louder. Can you yeah. come back to me? There yeah. you are. There it is. Wow. Oh, yeah.
0: What wow. a I built
2: a clone. Yes, you did. With a different kind of trim on it.
0: Yeah. So, so what was and your. Over
2: here, just to show off a bit more, here's a flying V I built
1: with a trim. Too much. Yeah. Too much. Whammy so what, barbell. What was,
0: what, was what was the inspiration for the trim? Are, are you a frustrated guitar player or, or where did this come from?
2: No, I always played guitar, but my brother's first guitar had a tremolo on it. And. My initial thing was like, well, why doesn't a bass have a trump? <laughs> <laughs> I can play solos. Why not? I can do that.
1: Right. So still-
2: it took a long time. When I had the, uh, the bass like this one, which is on Wiped Out, kind of.
0: Yes. One of these
2: guys. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. Oh, nice. I used to
2: string it very, very light. I like that. Uh, as I've done for years with all my guitars. And I could bend behind the nuts and do whammy-type stuff with that. But uh, at the music store in our hometown, uh, they got a new guy in doing repairs and stuff, and I just had that uh, the Red Explorer made, and I just started bugging him. I go, can you make a tram for this?
0: Yeah. Because,
2: yeah, I don't see why not. Let me think about it. Came back a few days later. He says, yeah, I've got it. bring your guitar in. Let's put it together. And we kept breaking bars, of course. So he got a chrome vanadium <laughs> screwdriver and turned that into the trim bar, which it's still on. <laughs> and oh, there, there I had uh, just more expression for solos. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we use it occasionally in the middle of some songs. You'll hear it on, they give me just a little, it's at the beginning of a uh, chainsaw
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, and stuff like that. But usually on solos, because it's it's just fun to manipulate those notes. Everyone hears the basses, boom, boom, boom. But I bend, I put vibrato, and of course, the crazy stuff of that.
1: That goes, The whole
0: uh,
2: the whole reason between everything is just to be as unconventional as ridiculous as possible.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes. So, so, so which many- is
2: why we end up with stuff like, "Can you see that?
1: What am I looking at? What do it. you got? Eight strings. Oh, an eight-string eight bass. String and bass. Uh-huh. Yeah, I've made a uh-huh. couple of eight strings
2: recently, which is nice. So, I've got a few of those bad boys, and so uh, I've been playing them since 1980 as well. That's they're all over those early albums. Yeah. So, so, and- so just just to give a different sound and just to right. uh, add add some uh, pizzazz, you know. <laughs>
0: So yeah. so as as a bass player who's sort of taken a, sort of an unconventional approach to the instrument and as someone who toured with Cliff Burton, uh, what was what was your impression of Cliff? Because he wasn't your standard bass player either.
2: No, Cliff was a kindred spirit. Uh, you know, I've had people ask him, what was it like to play with Cliff Burton? I says, well, you got to understand, like in 1976, I was playing a, perspex see-through bass with a violin bow and a fuzz war pedal
0: okay. playing
2: solos. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I knew all about what Cliff was doing. Yeah. Right. But Cliff, that's not to take away what Cliff was doing, because Cliff was a great player, a smart musician. Yes. And yes. we'd sit and play off each other and you know talk about music. He he knew his stuff. He was he was really cool. Yeah. I remember one of those Texas shows. There was an opening band who I can't remember, and they had an unconventional bass player too, who played bass solos. And we were the three of us were talking, saying, "You'll never see another show like this where each band had a bass solo." Wow!
0: <laughs> wow! I wonder what band that was. I don't know. Wow! And the,
2: one, the gig was kind of like a theatre type of place. Mm. It may have been Austin, it may have been San Antonio, I I don't know. No, in in Austin... Lost in the the mists of time. It was only,
1: uh, in Austin, it was only uh, you guys and Metallica. Um, San
0: San Antonio was Randy's rodeo, wasn't it? May
1: have been... No, that was Daddy. I I
2: seem to remember it was the show that the the Pantera boys turned up at at some point or... Or yeah. they was supposed to one of the two. Something like that.
1: Early version of Pantera, correct? Uh, there, there are in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. There are some unconventional bass players, uh, m- more than one. I don't know if they have whammy bars, but there is some crazy <laughs> over-the-top bass playing going on in that area.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, there's no, it's so that's like the musicianship coming out of there. People like Eric Johnson and yeah, you know, the guys that's played with him and. The stevie Ray and all that stuff i mean you know obviously a lot of blues bass but just phenomenal musicians
1: right yeah yeah i want to i want to throw uh in that's all uh, amazing stuff and thank you for sharing uh you know uh i think that you've given even raven fans uh who are listening might be listening uh information about uh, why and what, you know, whammy bar and style and musicianship and just being as over-the-top, uh no pun intended, as possible to just create different sounds to your music that, in my book, just create what Raven stands for. Well, now,
2: yeah, I mean, it's it's you, you have a... I, I think, like, different instruments have different music in them. Yeah. Which is why I'm a, a, a terrible collector, seller, you know. I've, I've, yeah. Me my brother, have went through so many instruments. We could have opened a warehouse. But, yeah. Uh, uh, my, I, my I, latest, my latest one right here is a, a one I picked up. It's a, it was a five string bass, but somebody converted it into a six string bass. Oh. So I've tuned it like a guitar, but an octave below, so I can do chordal picking, yeah, and weird stuff as well as just play it as a bass.
1: Yeah.
2: It, just something different. So you know, there's this. Like I say, there's something different in every instrument. So you pick that up. I yeah. pick one oh, here's a riff. Boom, oh, let's record that. Here's a riff. So uh, buried in riffs. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I wanted to throw I wanted to throw this out. I recently picked this up uh from you guys. Um Party Party Killers. Oh yeah. And when I listened to this, I was I, I love the record. Um but th- these are these are cover songs, and yeah. you're singing on this. You're 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 you seem a little not reserved. That's too big of a word for what it is. But your voice sounds amazing on these songs. By way of what I felt, if you were going to sound even slightly conventional, probably cut because they are cover songs. Some of these don't sound as over the top as like. uh You know, uh, pre-cover songs on older Raven records. Um, You know, the sweet song you guys did and the action and, and you know, that sounds like Raven to me. And I know. Yeah. And again,
2: we'd been playing it for like a year or two before we got to record it. Yeah. So that goes through the the live thing of doing that. This was literally, we've got three days. What do we know? Let's. You know, throw this thing together and and just have a lot of fun doing it. I mean, some of the songs that were on there, I mean, Joe was like, let's do this Edgar Winter song. We're like, what? What? Never heard of it. So,
1: my dream. And and it came
2: out okay, you know. No, I. I, I, The Nazareth one. I didn't even remember the Nazareth one off the Razamanaz album. I remembered other songs. So,
1: too bad uh, songs.
2: Obviously, something like uh, Fireball yeah uh i mean i love gillen so yeah even for me i sound pretty like gillen on there it's pretty close
1: <laughs> no, that's, that's what i'm saying is uh tonally you sound amazing i mean you're i don't want everyone hearing me say this i'm not and in, saying, and in
2: a lot of them it's 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 not trying to cop what the other people are doing but a, a bit of that comes in, like the Slade one. Yeah, I'm trying to sing like Naughty Holder because yes. he's brilliant. So yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, and he kind of set the bar. He's one of those guys that set the bar for what would become.
2: Oh, uh, I, I mean, the guy got a voice like a foghorn, for God's yeah. sake. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah.
1: I feel like Brian Johnson was even as early as Gordy Day, Geordie Days was. Trying-
2: I, I saw Brian with Geordie doing uh, wow. Black Dog. Wow. It would have blew your head off
1: i'm sure
2: (laughs) oh my god anyway i just
1: just wanted to bring up this party killers right because i i love the record i think it's very uh a different uh thing for you guys let's talk about joe Hasselvonder. when did he come into the fold as drummer for raven
2: well robert left and there we were stuck in upstate new york thinking well what do we do now uh was Joe so still let's audition some drummers. Was so he
1: doing Pentagram?
2: He was playing in Savoy Brown.
0: Oh, wow. Wow. Okay.
2: Yeah, a version of Savoy Brown called the Kim Simmons Band, which was a little more like a hair metal take on it. Okay. Which had uh, Jimmy Coons, who's when we're Cactus, singing. Uh, Duck McDonald, who ended up in Blue Cheer. Wow. And the last version of Blue Cheer. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Chris Romanelli, who was playing in the Plasmatics wow. when he was 16 years old, Wow. and Joe. Uh, so we were in this house that we were staying in, upstate New York. These two girls had this huge house, and they used to rent out apartments to musicians. So we ended up there because it was cheap, and we were on tour all the time. And we knew Joe and Jimmy and all them guys, and hung out with them. So we we knew, you know, he liked the same kind of music. So we were trying people, and I mean, we tried the guy from Celtic Frost. It was a bust. He had no background on what we liked at all. So I played some covers. Do you know Born to Be Wild? He goes, No.
1: Yeah. Well.
2: <laughs> all right. That's not a good start.
1: Is that was that. Recently, uh, Mark. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: Wow.
2: Which is very strange, because he looked like a bigger version of Danny Spitz. He looked very strange, very weird. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> uh great drummer in his own thing, but just didn't fit. So we were supposed to have even AJ from Twisted was supposed to come by, but he never wow. turned up. And wow. So somehow it just was like, well, why don't we try Joe? We've seen Joe play. Joe's a great drummer. Why not? Yeah. So we booked some time in Bearsville and brought them down and did a demo and stuff. And it was great. And we just said, yeah, let's go for it. We had a bunch of songs written. So we booked the studio in Utica, New York, because uh, we certainly didn't have the budget to do Bearsville again. That was like crazy money uh, and got joined and off we went, you know, we, we recorded the album, immediately went out on like four or five dates and, found out what a complete lunatic he was, you know? <laughs> well, what, what record was that? What was Joe's first? That was Nothing Exceeds Like My Breasts.
0: That's right. I mean,
2: like
1: excess. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's right. That's
1: right. Uh, I was lucky enough to see you guys with Joe one time in Austin with Night Demon. And I believe, All right. Yeah, yeah. I believe that was the first time... God, it was years ago now. Uh, I believe that was the first time you guys had returned to Austin since the 80s?
2: Uh, more than likely. Yeah. Yeah, more than likely. Yeah. I, I remember doing it with uh, on the Wasp tour.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think you guys played uh, the Austin Opera House. A yep. A times. I saw you guys there. I think um, that would have been 86, I think.
2: Yeah, 86, we played there, and then we, we, like I say, we did it with Wasp in, like, 87. Okay, yeah. Uh, And, yeah, I mean, there's places we did on that tour and one or two of the previous, we still haven't been back. You know, America is large. We're we're working on it. Yeah. Yeah. We're working on it. It takes
0: a little bit of time. At least
2: we were before the political items removed by the auspices of the radio show happened (laughs) (laughs) so,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, how many records did Joe make with Raven?
2: Uh, let's see. Nothing Exceeds, like Excess, Soul Detective Fear, The Heads Up EP. Uh,
1: Party Killers.
2: Glow, the live album in Japan, Destroy All Monsters, wow. Everything Louder. Wow. Uh, One for All, and uh, Walk Through Fire. And extermination. I mean, he was with us for like 30 years.
1: And party killers. And party killers, yeah.
0: <laughs> you run out of fingers. That's,
1: that's like... Uh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. That's like uh, nine records.
0: Oh, I, yeah. I wanted to uh, I wanted to bring up, I, I think I saw somewhere that uh, Metallica sort of returned the favor, I guess you could say, and, and had you out uh on a bill where you played in front of seventy thousand people in brazil is that correct yeah how is that that uh, is it safe to say that was we were large... yes is that's that the largest show the you've, largest you've ever played yeah we've
2: ever played to. we played some big crowds but not that big so we were setting up dates for brazil because we'd been there twice at that point and it was it's phenomenal it's so much fun to play down there the, the Crowds are incredible. Uh, so we were setting updates, and my agent down there, Rodrigo, got in touch and said, Are you still in touch with Lars? And I said, Well, we were in touch last year, which was at that point, 2013. We'd been in touch with him. He very nicely shot some video for our DVD talking about the Killermore for One tour and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't been in touch with him specifically, but with his, you know, the Metallica Club intermediary and all this stuff. And, you know, he was very nice to do that. So he said, I says, well, what's the deal? He says, well, if you're in touch, ask them if you can open for them. They're playing a stadium tour here in South America and see if we can get onto the Sao Paulo gig. Okay. So like, hi this is John from Raven. Can you ask Lars if we can open for them? uh, And I got a reply back almost immediately going, yes, sure. No problem. Wow. And Well, actually it was, there was like a week's gap. We were on a cruise, the 70,000 tons cruise. So I'd asked, we were on the cruise. And when we got off the ship and got all our stuff and the phones came back on being there was the message saying, yeah, let's do it. And, We've had many moments over the years, but that was one where we were, like, kicking the roof of the car and go, yes! <laughs> and then thinking, yeah, it'll it'll never happen, it'll fall apart. And, you know, all of a sudden I'm getting phone calls from Live Nation going, uh, yeah, Mr Gallagher? Yeah, and uh, Raven, you, you, you're a band? Yeah, we're a band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just checking. Because apparently, the actual band that was opening on the other shows was really pissed off that we got the gig oh. and they were trying to sabotage it any way they could, but oh. they couldn't because it came from on high that we were going to open. Mm-hmm. So we came over and we were treated like uh, royalty. They couldn't have been nicer, put us up in a wonderful hotel, got a great sound check. Um, they were late because uh, they were flying all these gigs, so they were flying. I think their base was Buenos Aires. The plane was late, and they kept saying, uh, don't want you to go on yet because the guys are late, so let's just hold it off. And they weren't playing any music in this place. There 70,000 people, and every hour they would play a 30-second video clip of the Through the Never uh, DVD thing which bored the crowd eventually, they were all pissed off and there was no music. So when the lights finally went down, they went apeshit. <laughs> I've never heard anything so loud in all my life. And we went out and it was great. Yeah. Uh, and we'd already said, cause it was only a short set, like 30 minutes. We said, well, you know, if they're late, we could play longer. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, really? It was, oh yeah, we could definitely play longer. Well, I'll, I'll let you see. So he gave us the, the nod to do another song, which we turned in to break the chain with all the jamming and stuff. So we were yeah. on for like an extra 15 minutes almost. And <laughs> James is their video and had given us the thumbs up. So yeah oh, that's you know, great. again, we could do no wrong. Yeah. And they asked us to come by at the tune-up room after they do the rehearsal thing. And it was great seeing them. They were yeah. they were so nice. And we you know, talked for a while, shot some video and stuff. And Took some photos and we got to watch them. We only watched half the show because we didn't want to be, be behind 70,000 people when we had to fly the next day and all this stuff, you know. <laughs> but uh, that was, I've seen, obviously, seen them many times, and that was one of the best times I ever saw them. I, I just, they were ultra pro and it, it was great.
0: I, I just think it's great that, uh, that you took them out as an opening act when they were very, very young and unknown. And they obviously looked up to you. You guys were heroes of theirs. And then all these years later, when they were in a position to sort of return the favor and put you on a stage in front of a huge audience, they made that call and made it happen. And I think that's really cool.
2: Yeah, that that's, I can't say enough good things about them for that. that that's, you know, that's the kind of thing you see, see. Yeah, you could have done that. Well, they did. Yeah. And they've done that. They've done that for a number of people. I mean, I know they've done it for Diamond Head a couple of times and sure. stuff like that.
0: Sure. And
2: it's just uh, you know, repaying, repaying yeah. they, their heart's in the right place, you know. Yeah. So oh, that yeah. was that was awesome. It was a great experience, definitely. Yeah. So the next night we were playing some some bar in the middle of nowhere, and we were just laughing, going, Can you believe this? <laughs> so from there to here. And that that's life, that's the way it goes, you know. Yeah. It, it was cool.
0: That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah,
1: I, I love stories like that. Um, the uh, Do you have a blog? Do you have like a sort of a blog that you do?
2: I've been doing a thing with this uh, the promoter in Japan. I haven't actually started. I did start one like two days ago. I've been doing them occasionally. It's almost as if I was writing a book and I was just like pulling... Random stories out of my head and just writing a chapter about it, and it was a lot of fun. And
1: where can they basically gave
2: me the confidence to say, yeah, at some point, yeah, I could definitely write a book. I mean, where- I know I've got the stories, but just the technical putting it together and uh, and I'm reasonably good at writing and uh, i've got a good command of english and so I, I have a wealth of ridiculous stories so you know it's a winner all down the lane.
1: <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about your brother real quick i i didn't want it, that to get away um i mean y- y- you know i don't know you as very very well but i you know if it be okay, I call you a friend, and I know that you're going to be okay with that. But I don't know you well like I eat dinner at your house. But not
2: yet. I say, We're coming not, by next week. Not, not
1: <laughs> but I got to say, you and your brother uh, just seem to be very special people. I think that uh, – you the energy that you guys have obviously you guys play off of each other on stage and i i don't for some reason i don't think that that's just a show i think that you were saying you know you were saying earlier the uh, via dave's question about you know you, you guys were beating each other up until you had music to beat up on you know uh the energy you guys have off stage after a gig or you know a day in the studio um i'm not trying to say do you get tired of each other i'm trying to say how do you guys keep up that energy how do you guys always have a a good uh you know taking a piss out of a moment and making it a great time when it sucks or
2: that's that's what that's all about uh you know you 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 Physically would not be able to do what we do if you'd approached it with a shit attitude. Yeah. And if you were just like uh clock in and like, oh god, I gotta sit on the bus and do this and then get up and do it. No, we <laughs> we live and breathe this stuff. So yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like uh when I try to talk to people who don't they're not rock and roll or they have no idea. It's like, remember the school trip when everyone was G'd up to go on the school trip. And if it was one where you stayed overnight. Yeah. Yeah. It, we've got to do that for the last 47 years.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> where We ran away with the circus, man. We're, we're out there. <laughs> roast about, roast abouting. But that's what it's all
1: about. I feel like you guys joined, ran away with the circus and eventually you took out the grand master. You you know, you stabbed and killed and buried the ringleader of the circus and said, What? I'm I've been what? What ringleader? And you guys just <laughs> you guys just took over the whole thing. Oh.
2: Yeah. Thank uh, you.
1: that's what I'm talking about. Um where. Where where is your brother right now?
2: Uh, he is over at the house where I was.
1: Oh, okay. All right.
2: Uh, yeah, we're renovating this property out here. Oh, and, cool. Uh, cool. So we make it look nice and then yes. burn it. Yes, just for the hell of it.
1: Are, <laughs> you, are, are you guys in? Uh, you guys are in Virginia, correct?
2: No, actually, I'm down in Florida.
1: Oh really? Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. you pulled up. state Do you still? Do you own? Do you still have uh, family in Virginia? Uh, I,
2: I don't own nothing. I'm, I'm oh, please, oh. I I do not have the proverbial pot to urinate into. Uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, I was I, I was divorced four years ago. So there you go. Uh, okay. But
0: I'm 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 doing good. Yeah, you're. I'm, I'm all good. <laughs> He still got his bases. Audience. I've For got variety. lots of
2: bases. Yeah, yeah they're, they're multiplying. <laughs> My God, they're taking over.
0: So, so John, I wanted to ask, uh, since we're speaking about your brother, if we go back to, if we go back to your childhood, if we go back to the Gallagher household when you guys are kids, what's the moment when you and your brother discovered rock and roll and realized that this is gonna, this is something I want to pursue? What was the moment?
2: Well, it's two moments for that. One of them was we went on holiday to Spain in, like, 72, maybe 71, 72, which was a big deal. You know, my dad saved his money. We f- flew to Spain, got there. They had the worst storms it had in 40 years, so half the holiday was under a torrential rainfall. He was pissed off. But in the hotel, they had the, the dinner, you know, you had your meal, and then a band played. And they had masses of equipment. And the guitar player was playing a Strat, and he had a coiled cord, and he was playing with his teeth and behind his back, and the wah war pedal, and they're doing the whole Hendrix trip. Wow. And we were just like... <laughs> so Mark got a classical guitar, because we were in Spain, And we got it back, and we'd be borrowing it, fighting over it. I'd be tuning it down because I wanted to play bass. (laughs) And Tim and Paul came up one day and just said, we're going to form a band, and you're going to play the bass? And I'm like,
1: yeah. Let's go. Love it.
2: And then the other factor was going to our first real concert, which was in 1973. It was Slade. And the opening band was the sensational Alex Harvey band.
1: Oh, Oh, yeah.
2: And between those two bands, we were ruined for life. Faith Healer. (laughs) Faith Healer, The Temptation of St. Anthony, the whole deal, man, phenomenal. Wow. He he walked out, the crowd couldn't have cared less. Mm. And by the end, he had them in the palm of his hand. And then Slade were just phenomenal as well. Well, you know.
1: How do you think, uh, what is your version of, let's talk shop. What is your version of, you know, okay, you walk out and you you give a gung-ho and then no one responds. They might, half the crowd's got the back to you. They're waiting for the headliner. How does John Gallagher of Raven turn that around and put them in the palm of his hand by the end of your set? I just wanted to hold these up real quick, these Alex Harvey records. I'm sure you have these.
2: The live albums, the best, man. That's the one. Yeah,
1: I got to get the, the live.
2: It's always the live records.
1: So how, do you,
2: uh, how, do, you how do you do that? You just, I mean, we used to play the clubs, the working men's clubs in the northeast of England. And the audiences were vicious, but fair. So they'd hate you until they liked you. And when they liked you, they'd love you. Mm. Uh, to to this day, you know. Wow. Uh, So we'd go out and we'd play. There was, you know, football rivalries. You'd go 10 miles south and there was the Sunderland fans who hated the Newcastle fans. So the compare would go, and here's the boys from Newcastle. So immediately the the crowd hate you. Yeah. And then they'd have beer mats. I've always told this story. And they'd put uh, requests on the beer mats. And usually the nearer Sunderland, the more the requests said, fuck off, you know,
0: <laughs>
2: uh, instead of smoke on the water or bad boy boogie or whatever, you know. Yeah. So you just, you know, you got in their face. And if they didn't like you, you made them hate you more.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, and then and some- you
2: just wind it up and you just yeah. be as obnoxious as possible.
1: Sometimes so, uh,
2: there's there's nothing worse than getting no reaction. You always want to get a reaction, and yeah. hopefully a good one. If you get a good one, you can just stoke those fires and just you know get it going, man.
1: That's that's a that's that's a great way to just explain it in more yeah. uh, sort of a layman's terms. You want
2: to you want to see a master class in that? There's a DVD out called Queen Rocks Montreal. Yeah from 1980, and Queen go out, and they're playing the stadium. Oh, it's an, an arena, right? It's maybe a 10 15,000 arena, okay. and the crowd are rubbish. They're absolutely awful. They're totally disinterested, and you watch Freddie Mercury just beat on these guys from start to finish until he's got them in the palm of the hand, and that's a band at that level that had to do that. It's, wow. it's just phenomenal. Wow. It's I phenomenal.
0: I can't believe Queen had an audience in 1980 that was disinterested.
2: Yeah. It's, it's just like, uh, and they just hammer, they hammer down all the way through. Wow. I've seen that happen. There's a... and it's, it's, it's the mark of a great entertainer to be able to do that. It's just yeah. like, you know, you're in my house and we're going to have a good time.
1: Yeah. yeah, I've, I've seen that uh, if
2: you're not gonna have a good time, I'm gonna beat you on the head until you do. You know?
1: Yeah, I've seen, <laughs> seen Danko Jones do that. Uh, seen who? Danko Danko Jones.
2: Okay, I've, I've seen, seen uh, I've seen Saxon do that. Biff's yeah. a, a great stage master, he's he's done that before too. I've seen oh. that. And it's the mark of a great entertainer, and, and it's sadly lacking in a lot of acts these days, you know. They they don't have they don't have that. They've never went through that apprenticeship. They've been very lucky. It's just like, oh yeah, well our record's popular and just walk out and everyone's like, eh.
0: Yeah. yeah. You know? There's a there's a there was a punk rock band based in Austin, Texas for years and they relocated to San Diego. They're called the Lower Class Brats, And their very first album was called Rather Be Hated Than Ignored.
2: Oh, yeah. And I thought that was
0: brilliant. And that sort of sums up what you're talking about.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We played, I remember we famously played a show in Sunderland at this club called the Old 29, which was, you could barely walk because your feet would stick to the carpet, you know. And (laughs) it was basically two doors. The stage was basically, we were on the floor and the, the equipment was up on this glorified window ledge, pretty much. And a punk band called the Angelic Upstarts, oh, yeah. who famously used to kick a pig's head around on stage. There was a song about a cop killer or something or whatever. Uh, they they canceled the show, so all their fans came to our gig. And uh, it was just like,
0: <laughs> and you got
2: these guys like this close in your face, you know? Yeah. And we just made it happen.
0: Yeah. So, angelica that's upstart. a
1: great story yeah. that's a great story uh that that band uh i've heard of that band before i couldn't name you any yeah. song yeah.
2: another the- good example of that was on that kill em all for one tour we played oklahoma city and it literally no word of a lie with the exception of the chicken wire it was the scene out of the blues brothers <laughs> when they're doing the bonanza theme and all that nonsense. Yeah, it's what it was. Metallica were on there. They were throwing shit at those boys like you wouldn't believe, and they just like cracked, and they were just like huddled around the drums, hiding. Couldn't wait to get off. Wow. So we come on, they're doing this shit. I went jumping on the tables, kicking the beer over. Is that all you got? Said, come on, man. We've we've played in the northeast of England. Don't give me this shit, please. Yeah. And they loved it. And then they threw more. Just like the movie. It was ridiculous. So stupid. Yeah.
0: Attitude is everything. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: I remember uh at the Austin show, Kill 'em all for one tour, during your set, there was a bit of a mosh pit type thing. And I I got the feeling that you you know, I feel like uh like Lemmy was was that felt the same way about this you know, this dancing going on, mosh pit, right? While you're playing music that, you know, you obviously have passion for, that you sweat blood to bring them and you're working hard up there and they don't give a shit about you. They're they're dancing, mosh pit, right? Yeah,
2: they're, absolutely. We, we hated that. And yeah, it, I was going to say. We really saw it when we came to... California and people kept getting up on the stage, and we would just stop. Yeah. And I just looked at the guy and goes, Excuse me, can I help you? And he'd be like, <laughs> just, Get the fuck off my stage
1: now before let me, I kill you. Lemmy did the same thing. That's very interesting. Uh, they, they stopped the song and go, Hey, Do you want to get on stage? Go.
2: Learn an instrument, Sorry, go through man. all the shit we've went through, and then you can get up, and then you can do it. Until then, you do not belong up here. Get fucking back down there. <laughs> yeah, and that that that. I mean, you know, that that was our attitude. I've 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 known people who, you know, it would be like, oh man, I went to see Pantera last week. Saying, so, oh yeah, how was the show? Well, man, there was this guy, man. He was like six for ten. He was like huge, and I I get into the pit. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. How was the show? Well, I'm telling you, man. I'm telling you. And it did no, you're not telling me about the show. You're telling me about some bullshit fucking wrestling thing that's going on.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: You might as well be playing the freaking Teletubbies up there. Yeah. So you can jump around. Yeah. And act like says, why don't you you know join a football team or a rugby team?
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. You know, or, or gun gun wrestling. Please. Yeah,
1: Yeah, please. yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: It's got nothing to do with music at right. all. It's just they want a big noise so they can go beat people up. Yeah. Now, I've been at some of these gigs where they start this and all of a sudden some smart ass just punches you right in the mouth. I say, what are you going to do? It's like 25 people like, out of their minds. You don't know which one did it.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: I hate, that. I hate yeah, it. Sorry. I, yeah. I hate it. I, uh,
1: I, I, at that same show that I was uh, referring to, I took an elbow to the nose. Um, I, it was an accident, you know. No one like just tried to pile drive me or something. Um, and you know, I, I, to be uh, to be truthful, you know, the show wasn't sold out. It was a, you know, the club held maybe three three hundred to four hundred people, and it was maybe half full. and we were all happy to be there, and everyone was celebrating the idea of this, this like, uh, life-changing experience in Austin, Texas in, in, you know, summer of 1983, seeing this incredible experience. And some of them, like, what in the hell is this? They don't even know what they're seeing. And it was a, it was a group of us, I'd say about half of us, knew the world was changing after this moment. Back to my my thing. Sorry, I had to glorify again because it's no, just, no, no. It's, it's a very, very big deal. Um, anyway, it took an elbow to the nose and it, it took me out. I was like, okay, I am you know, because I'm singing along with Raven and I can't believe my eyes and ears and da 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 da, da And I turned around and duh, I'm like, uh oh, okay, I lights out for a second. And I I I I've sort of faded back to the wallflower area and then. Right. And then ended up, you know, you guys ended and thank you, good night. And I, I went out on the dock. There was a loading dock in the front because it's an older warehouse district where you guys were playing downtown Austin. And it was an empty lot across the street, which uh, my buddies from San Antonio, uh, they were called Slayer. They had a band called Slayer, but the, from Texas. 80. I
2: remember hearing about that band. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah. And we were all over there. James came and had beers with us before the show. It was like, we didn't even ask him to come over. Hey, what's up, guys? And it was, you know, phenomenal night. Anyway, I'm sitting on the dock out front sort of gathering my, you know, okay, right? And it's not broken, but it's just like boom, 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 right? And I I hear a voice that I can't really understand. And and I look up. That narrows
2: it down to about six people.
1: And it's you. It's you. You're standing above me going, uh, I won't try your accent. Uh, And you say, basically, I had to ask you three times. Well, I'm exaggerating. You were asking. Hello, young fellow.
2: You appear to be going through some sort of medical
1: crisis at the moment. Can I assist you? You must have seen it. (laughs) <laughs> and, or I walked out to get a breath of fresh air and saw me sort of wincing and, uh, you know,
2: Whoa, kiddo. Y'all right?
1: yeah, you you read. Yeah. You were checking on are me. You, all right? you were checking on me. And and I thought that that, that meant a lot. Uh, and uh, on top of that, um, it, it definitely defined my, my thinking. They don't look like they're enjoying this. Hoorah in the middle of the audience where, you know, Hey, You know, we're playing music up here and you guys are, you know, jacking each other off out there. So
2: we we had that. I mean, I think that one of the times we played San Francisco, I think it was 84 when we did it with uh, Anthrax. We played the Kabuki theater and we had all we bought all these specials, uh, strobe lights and put them all along the front we in the first ten minutes of our set. They were all smashed to pieces. That was like five grand open smoke. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, (laughs) it was like out of control. Violent, violent, (laughs) violence. Indeed. Sounds
1: like a good gig. I think I have that fire. Actually,
2: It was definitely, definitely craziness. But uh, a lot
1: of that, a lot of that, just make makes a lot of sense to me. And uh, you know, I think that. You know, you guys uh, respect yourself as songwriters and musicians, much like a lot of other bands that I uh, have respect for, and uh, that's important to me, as it should be to the, you know, the at least most of the audience. They should be able to play the room by what the band is expecting of their audience. And sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes if a fan, I use the point, that, that term loosely, when they buy a ticket, they feel like they're deserving and they can put, fuck off and throw shit at the band if they want to because they've paid their way in, right? And that's yeah, not,
2: that's, that's not I case. mean, if you don't like it, just walk away. You don't have to ruin it for everyone else. So even right. if you think everyone, don't, don't be the asshole that's throwing stuff at the band or <laughs> trying to be a smart ass calling them out. That's just... I mean, we we had to go through that when we did that tour with Wasp and Slayer. So we were opening, and -hmm. it was all, you know, these pimply-faced 13-, 14-year-old Slayer fans who used to think it was fun to spit or throw 9-volt batteries and stuff like that. Yeah. And we used to open with a song called Overload, and it had kind of a break right before the guitar solo. Mm -hmm. And after a few shows with us, we just, like, stopped down tools, and I'd climb over the the crash barrier and stand on top. Now, I had the mic, and I go, Okay, who's first? I'll beat every one of you pimply faced motherfuckers right now, one at a time. Who's first? Wow. And they'd back off. And they'd back off. They'd think, These guys are out of their fucking minds. We're not going to mess with them. And they'd back off.
1: Yeah, this Englishman's going to take out a stick and take us all out in one Kung Fu swipe here in a second. Yeah, <laughs> I
2: mean, the, the, the whole concept is, of this course, absolutely ridiculous, but just because somebody was calling them out, they go, oh, you know? Yeah, well, yeah. It's to- totally ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, we've the, the most recent was a, a tour in, when was it? It was 2016, same tour you'd seen us when we played Austin with Joe. We played a show in Reno, and they were literally building the stage. Like, what the hell? So we went away, we came back, it was finished. They had, like, shag carpet on stage. Ah. So halfway (laughs) through the gig, Mark trips and just goes, you know, like a bowling ball straight into the drums. Boom. It's all gone. It takes like 10 minutes to set everything back up again. I mean, and this guy keeps getting on the stage and he's taking selfies and he's getting his friend taken and he thinks it's clever. And at the end, he's up there jumping around with us and say, like, Yeah, off. Mark's like, Get off. So he pushes back, he goes, What do you mean, get off?
0: Uh oh, <laughs> let me show you.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <down> twos, <laughs>
1: between,
2: between me and him, I, I just remember seeing this guy flying through the air. Landed on his back six foot down like a crushed bug. (laughs) (laughs) The funny thing is, through the website, over the last, uh, what's it now? It's about five or six years ago. I I still get the occasional email from some guy who's pissed off about that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Uh, I want to throw this in. Let's talk about Mr. Mike Heller.
2: Yes, Mr. Heller, the whirling dervish.
1: Unbelievable. Person, uh unbelievable drummer. Um, I don't even remember when it was, but it was long before his his now years with Raven. Uh, I recorded with a young Mike Heller. I don't know if he's told you that story. I, no. think, I think he was at college and he had this prog metal band and they made a they made a video of the song I rec- They They were big Watchtower fans. They emailed me this track and I sang on it. They'd send me the lyrics and And that was my introduction to Mike Heller. We stayed in touch. He was in Fear Factory for like a blip of a moment. And the next thing I know he's telling me he's in Raven. How did that come about?
2: Well, we were all set for 2017. A ton of gigs and you know, Joe was not happy about it. He's like, "Oh, you're gonna kill me! Uh, you know, I'm too old for this shit and all this stuff." And then he had a heart attack. Oh! So, you know, we freaked out. That'll do. It. And it's like we've got all these dates starting in two days. What so we're going to do? So, this guy Tom Hazard, who we knew, was incredibly helpful, and he says, "I'll, I'll help. I'll figure out some guys." So he, he got a guy for the Chicago gig, the first gig. Then we had three gigs on the East Coast. We had Jersey, we had Baltimore, and we had uh, Delaware. And he said, I've got this guy, Mike Heller. Okay. Yeah, he's played with Fear Factory. Okay, great. So the Chicago gig, we had four hours rehearsal with this guy, Jimmy Mess, who was great, did a great job. We did the show. And, you know, stress-free for us. We were like, hey, this is fun. Yeah, you because know, things, to be honest, things in that department hadn't been fun for a while, you know? So it was really cool. We get to Jersey, we fly there, I get the car, get in, get to the gig. We meet Mike, Mike for like half an hour before the gig. We talk about it. He's plotted everything out. So we talk for half an hour. We get on and do the show, and it's flawless. And we're like, what? Yeah. We are talking afterwards, and Mark said, why did you play this like this? And he goes, well, that's what the record said." was. Ah. He says, all right, tomorrow night, throw that shit out the window, do more the crazy stuff, speed it up. He goes, really? Was yeah, really. So the next night was 1,000% better than the first night, and then the third night was 1,000% better than that, and we were just like, <laughs> you know, we've got the, we know you can't do the European gigs we're doing and all this, but let's talk when we get back. Yeah, So we went and did this festival in Europe and we did a 11-day tour with Hyrax opening up for us there, which yeah. was great. Uh, we had the drummer from Kill Ritual play with us. Great guy, great drummer. And for the festival, we had, uh, what's his name, from uh, Annihilator. Mm. Fabio, young mm. kid, brilliant, brilliant drummer, great. So anyway, we got back and said, mate we've got all this stuff coming up european tours american tour we're you in because yeah we're going to do some new music yeah we've got a lot of new music and that year that point was what june we did 150 dates from june in in 2017 wow that's a lot of work That's the most dates we'd ever done ever yeah. and it's it, it continued like that until the the P word happened, you know.
1: Right. Well, I'm extremely happy that uh, you found your guy, and that uh, it was- no,
2: because he's got the obviously he's got the best attributes of Rob and the best attributes of Joe, but he's got his own crazy take on it all, and he's technically formidable, as the Europeans would say. Yeah. He- uh, but it's he's musical with it too, and it, it's just. Uh, it's great to be around someone who's positive 100% and just gung ho all the time. Yes. And it, it's, you know, you can hear it in the record, in the Metal City record. It's just like, uh, yes. you know, we knew it would be good because of the material. We'd written the material, we knew it would be good. But putting him on board just took everything, oof, like a rocket ship, up to another level, you know.
1: Are you going to do any catch up? Uh anytime soon as far as touring and, and October. October. Uh finishing yeah. out some should
2: food. should be I should be hearing any day now about what's going on with that. So yeah. Okay. We we're doing a festival in two weeks in Belgium. Okay. Uh the Alcatraz, which is excellent. We're looking forward to that. And then October. It was gonna just be four or five dates, but we just told the agent, blow it out let's let's go for it let's make a real tour it's been too damn long let's
1: do it are you headlining a festival in chicago
2: yeah that reggie's that was the first gig that was coming up and we had a few around there and it was just like well it's a long way to go just to go there and then come all the way back here let's put a gig on the way up and a gig on the way back and yeah maybe we could add a lot more gigs
0: (laughs) (laughs) because it's
1: what you do um I uh, just want to say, this has been an incredible journey. Um, I feel like we could talk another two hours. Uh, I wouldn't want to do that to you. But listen, I, I, I cherish you. And uh, you are a major game-changing musician. Your band is a game-changing band. Um, your your style is bar none, never boring, never holding back. I don't know how you do the vocal stylings that you do um it, it's just it's an incredible conversation uh that we've had here today and uh where can people buy all your stuff it's available everywhere right is any are any of your records out of print
2: yes yeah, some of them are out of print and i'm working very hard to getting back the rates to okay. everything
1: yeah basically. well We started there are
2: certain multinational corporations who don't want to part with certain rights, even though they're supposed to, under law. So, uh, I'm looking at alternate routes of doing it, but uh, I really want to do the full box set deal on all our early albums. And, like I was mentioning earlier, we've got some phenomenal extra material and stuff, and you know, the people can you know, have like essays or whatever video people talking about it. We've got the photographs. We can make it a real immersive experience and, yeah. and do it right. You know, do it right. Yeah. I get really disappointed when I see somebody license, you know, rock until you drop for the 400th time. It's just the same. It's like no different than the last time. So,
0: you know,
2: we, we have, we have a, a circus full of stuff for uh, just about all these records, which is really. I keep finding great stuff. Like, you know, I, f- I found a tour rehearsal from 1985, bold, recorded all the way through. Wow. It's like, what? Yeah. A demo from 1978. Wow. Yeah,
1: you mentioned that. Really,
2: listen, yeah. going, what the hell is this song? who Who's yeah. this? <laughs> <laughs> right. Studio mm-hmm. talk from the Stay Hard album, wow. just Mark going off. Mark, when he's doing guitar songs, just he'll go off and do comedy, and it's just priceless. Wow. Yeah. Absolutely priceless. It's the funniest shit you've ever heard. <laughs> I'm, 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 <laughs>
1: I'm not, and, I mean,
2: not- just for for instance, the one stupid one on the, the Packers Back stuff, he's there, and we're all in the control, and he's just like, thank you, it's really good for you all to come in and tune into." the st- to the radio tonight, to listen to the show, um, we really appreciate it. And if you tune in tomorrow night, you're a fucking idiot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think that should be our outro for Talk Louder. <laughs> oh, oh, it's just silly,
2: just very, very silly
0: stuff. Good time. But, uh, yeah. you
2: know, that's, that's, uh, that's, you know, we, we have that childlike uh, ridiculousness about it. Um, but we're deadly serious about it. At the same time, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, John, I, I want to echo what Jason said. Uh, we we really appreciate your time today. Uh, the the history that you have is is just incredible. Uh, you've been so influential on so many bands that we've grown to love. And uh, there's a lot of people out there that love a lot of bands that don't even realize they were influenced by Raven. So uh, hopefully, this uh, this podcast will educate some people. Uh, because you're certainly worthy of that recognition. And uh we wish you uh the best of luck moving forward. Hopefully this tour comes together now that uh hopefully the pandemic is taking Yeah, the, the
2: yeah. We've got that all happening. And I'm writing like a fiend. We have like thirty odd songs for the next record already, and I'm so excited and can't wait to get them put down properly. They're yeah. just game-changing great stuff so when we get that one out let's come back and talk about it
0: oh yeah, yeah. we'd love to and uh, and hopefully your tour will bring you through texas and maybe oh yeah
2: man hope so get together
0: i'll let come. you know yeah please do jason any parting words
1: uh mr gallagher my respect
2: Thank you Before you going to see, where's the 20 dollars you owe me you
1: it. <laughs> there you have it, folks. in the mail.
2: Checks in the mail.
0: <laughs> well, there you have it, folks. another great episode. Thanks to our very, very, very special guest, Mr. John Gallagher of Raven, on behalf of my co-host Jason McMaster. I'm Metal Dave Glessner, signing off. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast.
2: Thank you, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure.